Welcome to the Connecting Place podcast. Here is today's message. Well, hello, everybody. Happy New Year to you. Seems like Christmas and New Year's and everything took me on. I felt like I was on another planet. Um, We had such a great time. My family, for the first time in forever, my extended family from out of town was in. And um, so we were like that family from home alone where they were all together ordering 10 pizzas at a time and but we didn't leave any children home alone or anything but it was a really really fun time really good to get back into a routine now though so anyway but I have always been really really thankful for the family that I have and growing up you know we just um, I am a twin and uh, we also have a younger sister but you may have met my sister Lori who's four rows back in the pink So if you ever think you're seeing me in the arms of another man, you're not. It's just her. (laughs) So, (laughs) but anyway, it's so great to have Lori and Graham here. Graham's going to be teaching a series on Wednesday night soon, so you don't want to miss that. But um, it's great to have them here. But when we were growing up, we were kind of uh, a center of attention in the family because we were twins, and we had great wonderful grandparents and spent a lot of time getting spoiled by them. Well, we especially spent a lot of time with our maternal grandparents, and they lived on Taylor Street in Chicago, which is actually in the heart of Little Italy. And my great-grandfather bought a building right there on Taylor Street, and it was called a six-flat. And that was um, a building with six apartments in it, and it was filled with mostly family. So we were a really close family. And until we were the age of four, we lived there. And then, um, fun fact, at the age of four, we moved to Niles, Illinois. So I moved from Niles to Niles, and and all is, it's a small world after all. And... um, Anyway, but with Grandpa and Grandma, we just had some amazing times. And Grandpa was a master tailor at Marshall Field and Company, and he actually made some suits for Al Capone back in the day. He said that he was a very mean man, and you had to really watch how you made his suits. So, um, but Grandpa used to love to take us around and show us Chicago, and show us to Chicago. He, he was so proud of his little granddaughters and he was so proud of the city he lived in. But most of all, Grandpa loved to feed us. He was very, very proud of his Italian heritage and he loved nothing more than if you would tell him you were hungry. And so um, right down the block on Taylor Street, his relatives owned a bakery. So he would walk us over there into the bakery, you would open that door and it would smell like heaven. And um, he would be so proud when Grandma would whip up her her, uh, homemade items. And so on Sundays before we would go to Mass, Grandma would be rolling out homemade pasta noodles and laying them out to dry. And um, then when we would come home from Mass, we'd have one of the best meals you could ever imagine. Uh, It was Grandpa who was so excited to show us that you could take those Pitzel cookies that Grandma made and you could make an ice cream sandwich out of those. He was so delighted about that. But my favorite memory is one time we stayed up late enough at night to get hungry again, and in his thick Italian accent, he told my grandma, Mari, go make the girls a pizza. So she'd laugh because she thought it was great, and she got up at 11.30 at night and went and made us a homemade pizza, and it was out of this world. And so you might wonder, why is Gina telling us this? Is it to torture us, or does she have nothing better to say? No, but the more that I go on in God and learn about God, the more I realize that Grandpa was reflecting 
a tiny bit of the amazing nature of God. In an infinitely more uh, profound way, God loves to feed his children. And we're not just only talking about natural food. Certainly if we run into trouble and, and we don't have enough finances and everything, he wants us to go to uh, him for provision. But I'm talking about a statement that Jesus made, which was that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so just like my grandfather in some small way loved nothing more than to hear that we were hungry uh, and to fill, it, fill us up with things that we didn't even know existed, God loves when we turn our hunger to him because he wants to show you the rich heritage you have in Christ. He wants to reveal that to you. He wants to feed that to you. He wants to sustain your hunger in ways you never even imagined. And so the one thing I want you to remember today is to trust your hunger to God. We're going to talk about uh, a lady that had a conversation with Jesus in the Bible, and he's talking about the principle of thirst in this passage, but we could use it also in the frame of reference of hunger. And he's trying to tell her to point her thirst toward him. So let's look at John 4, 7, and we'll read about this woman. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from, him, from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Okay, so Jesus is meeting up with this woman, and he's talking to her about trusting him with her thirst, okay? We're talking today about trusting God with our hunger. Now, this is an amazing passage, and it has become one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and I'll tell you why. Later on, if you would keep reading in this passage, we would find out that this woman had some kind of dysfunction going on. Jesus asks her at some point to go get her husband, and she says to him, Sir, I don't, I don't have a husband. And, she, and he says to her, You're right, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with, you're not married to. And so he's trying to point out to her, you know, I know what's going on. He's reading her mail, so to speak. And so uh, I want you to notice the amazing things that happen in this passage. First of all, Jesus gives her the most amazing gift of unconditional love that is possible. He adds value to this woman in a way that is absolutely astounding. One, for one thing, the Jewish religious leaders of the day did not talk to women at all. They did not look at women as being on their level. They did not have these conversations with women in public. And so Jesus, when we read throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, how he put value on women and how he treated them, it was an amazing expression of value that you just didn't see in the culture of his day. Secondly, this woman was a Samaritan, and the Samaritans were absolutely despised by the Jews. The Jews hated them. They had nothing to do with them. So the fact that he is talking to a Samaritan woman is amazing. 
thirdly, this woman, even amongst her own people, was not well-respected and well-liked. And that's why she's coming to the well in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, because the women would normally go to the well in the cool of the day, in the morning, before the hot sun. But she was avoiding people. She didn't want to be around everyone because she was not well-respected or well-thought of. So the first thing Jesus does is show this astounding value to her as a human being and gives an unconditional love that is like none other. The second thing he does is he appeals to her thirst. And he says to her, look, if you will just trust me with your thirst, you'll never thirst again. And the first thing he is talking about is her eternal well-being. And for those of you who, and, and us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we know that we have received eternal life and our eternal thirsts are satisfied, and we know now that we can uh, stop searching and striving that we are saved for eternity. But it wouldn't be right and just just to leave it at that, as great as that is. We want to live a, a lifestyle where we thirst for God every day. What good would it be to live a life where you say, hey, I know I got my ticket into heaven, but I'm going to be frustrated and um, all uh, hungry and thirsty all of my life, never to have Jesus fill that hunger and thirst on a daily basis. And so for us and all practical purposes today, there might be some in this room that you've never received Jesus as your Savior and you didn't know you could even have that eternal satisfaction. But then there's those of us who have done that, but we want to remind ourselves that there is a day-to-day hunger that if we'll trust God with that hunger, he will fill it. So the problem is, um, and and, and then and only then, Jesus deals with her sin. So first he gives her that amazing expression of value. Then he appeals to her hunger and thirst. And then and only then does he deal with her sinful lifestyle. And he did such a magnificent job of showing her value that she actually, even after he talked to her about her sin, she felt so good and so satisfied that she ran and told her friends, hey, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, if somebody had kind of busted you for your secret sins, you think you'd go tell all your friends, hey, come and meet the guy who told me all the sins I ever committed. That is not good marketing. But he had showed her such amazing value, such amazing life, and such amazing expression of forgiveness and love that she wanted to tell all her friends to come and get the same thirst-quenching satisfaction. Now, The problem we have as human beings is we like to do what's easily available and convenient. And so sometimes we turn our hunger toward things that are just real simple to reach for. Now, in our family, we have an ongoing joke with my husband. Much like my grandfather, my husband is incredibly proud of the food in his Italian heritage. And he loves good Italian food, and he wants us to love it as well, which we do. But when they were kids, what they would do is they would beg him to order carry-out pizza from the cheapest, most nasty places around. And they knew it would bother him. They knew it would get to him. And he would say, why do you want to order pizza from there? We have all these amazing places right in our own area. Why do you want pizza from there? And so they would just laugh and laugh and laugh, and it would really, truly bother him. Well, my youngest daughter, Deanna, she took it up a new level one day, and she came in the house with a pizza Lunchable. Now, I want honesty here. How many of you have ever spent your good money on a Lunchable? Come on, be honest. Oh, shame on all of you. 
<laughs> she walked in with a pizza lunchable. Now, if you've never had the pleasure of having a pizza lunchable, what it is is a glorified cracker for a pizza crust, a little packet of sauce, which I'm going to say is a glorified packet of ketchup, and then some cold cheese to sprinkle on the top and maybe some pepperoni. That is a Lunchable. Now, she brought that home. It bothered my husband so much. Deanna, why would you fill up on something like that? That is horrible. That is garbage. At least let me put it in the toaster oven for you. <laughs> I think she let him put it in the toaster oven. But he was just so... Uh, now, I want you to know the legend lives on because just a couple weeks ago, Deanna texted the family a picture of her most recent pizza Lunchable. And there it is. Now, I don't know, because this is from my phone, if you could really appreciate the true beauty of this, but as she peeled off the layers of pepperoni to put them on her uh, pizza, she found a little science experiment going on in the remaining pepperoni. So I'm sorry this is the truth for all you Lunchable fans. Uh, you're just going to have to deal with that. <laughs> but anyway... You know, so often that is what we do spiritually, is we settle for moldy garbage when we could be having something exquisite in God. And so what does that look like? Well, you know, God, much more profoundly than my grandfather could ever do, God in his great love for us, in his great desire to reveal the riches of our Christian heritage with us, his great desire to satisfy our hungers, he just wants us to trust him with our hunger, and what do we do? We turn to things that are immediate and convenient. And so, you know, what can some of those things be? Some of them are the, the obvious biggie kind of sins, addictions. Sometimes we know that uh, we get tempted with addiction when we have a deep longing in our heart. We have a deep hunger for something that's not satisfied. We want to anesthetize that with some kind of an addiction. Maybe it's the, one of the biggies like alcohol or sexual addiction or a food addiction or whatever, you know, drugs, those kind of things. They're the biggies and they're the obvious kinds of ways that we anesthetize ourselves by settling for just moldy garbage instead of the life of God. But sometimes there's actually good things that we can settle for that just keep us from going after great things. And we have a saying around here at BC, and that is this, good is the enemy of great. And sometimes we go after something that's really quote-unquote good, but we just have it in the wrong place in our lives. So like the woman at the well, some people look through relationships to satisfy their hunger instead of looking to God. And so you'll notice some people that, you know, as soon as one breakup happens, they're right into the next relationship, making some of the same mistakes right over again, like this woman who had moved through five husbands. Instead of taking a little time to connect with God and to let him grow them and grow them in wisdom and grow them in peace and all of these things, they move right on into a, a relationship again. That could be work. You've heard of workaholics. Some people find, fill their hunger with work. And so there can be all these different kinds of things. Um, you can even fill your hunger with just doing good deeds. And these are things we should be doing. We should be doing good things on the earth, but they are not meant to fill our hunger. Our hunger is supposed to be trusted and trusted to God. And then all of that is, a, is something that becomes a byproduct of it. And so it can be good things, it can be bad things, but they can all rob us of what is the best thing, and that is to turn our hunger to God. Trust God with your hunger. So there is something in a word that can put a really quick cure on all of these issues. 
If we're finding that we are kind of getting rusty with God, we're getting to a place where we're really not that interested in things, we're finding ourselves dull, or we're just finding us, ourselves very dissatisfied, there is something that the Bible teaches that can cure that in a hurry. Drum roll, please. That word is fasting. Ah! <laughs> Don't run out of the room. But fasting is actually something that the Bible talks about that we can engage in that will be something that helps us immediately with a lot of these problems, helps us to trust God with our hunger. Now, if you're anything like me, the word fasting strikes terror in your heart. I'm a person that for 30 years, 40 years, um, oh, wait, I'm 29. For 20 years... <laughs> I uh, have eaten every two to three hours. I never want to ever go hungry. I never hear my stomach rumble and my blood sugar never drops. And the trunk of my car is like Sheets gas station for all the snacks I have in it. I'm terrified of ever going hungry, and it never happens. But even I have become sold on fasting. And the reason is because there is such amazing reward from it. Now, some of you who are terrified and you have never missed a meal in your life, the good news is there are different types of fasts. And I have done all kinds of fasts. I've, have, I've done fasts where you go without food completely, but mostly I've done fasts that are called Daniel fasts, and that's the kind of fast where um, you'll see a handout on your seat that explains all these different kinds of fasts. But a Daniel fast actually is like no meats, no sweets, no treats, and you, you know, kind of fast media and all that, and you just focus on God during that time. And those kind of fasts had had amazing, amazing benefit for me. So I want you to just, if you've never fasted at all, please don't uh, just write this off in your mind as something, no, nope, not going to do that. <laughs> there are other ways to do it, but maybe you have done some Daniel fasting and you want to move into something more uh, ambitious. Hey, go for it. That's an amazing thing too. Now, what is, what is fasting not? Fasting is not a way to prove that we're just super religious. That is just stinky. There are, we do not want to do things just because it makes us look good or look religious or look pious. That stinks. It doesn't have any life in it. Uh, fasting is not a way to twist God's arm. Not at all. We don't have to uh, come to our Father who loves us so much and try to beg him and twist his arm. It is not that at all. And that's why I told you that elaborate story about my grandfather because I want you to understand that fasting is simply a way to trust God with our hunger, turn our hunger to God, and go to a God who already is desiring to feed you more than you've ever had before, to pour out more than you've ever experienced before because you're not too full to receive it. Fasting is a way to turn and trust your hunger to God. And so I want to read some scripture to you that will talk about fasting. This is actually in the New Testament, not just the Old. And we'll look at Matthew 6, 16. And it says this, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, I want you to see that the wording in this is not if you fast, the wording is when you fast. This was spoken out of the mouth of Jesus. So Jesus wanted to institute in his disciples a, a, a time in their lives and times in their lives where they could get back to the basics, remove the clutter out of their lives, and restore their hunger 
for God, okay? So this is something. But the way this passage ends up, I think is really cool because he says your father will reward you. Now, it would be good enough if the father just rewarded us, but the actual Greek language here speaks of an open reward. And there are only a few things in the Bible that promise an open reward by God, and amongst them are prayer, fasting, and giving. When we do those things in secret, he rewards us openly. So a reward from God is amazing. An open reward from God, really amazing. Why is that? Well, it's a reward that other people are going to notice. Other people are going to see there's something different about your life. There's something different about you. You are getting the rewards of God in your life, and it becomes apparent not only to them but to you too. So that's an amazing truth about fasting. It is openly rewarded when we trust God with our hunger. Now, the second scripture I want to look at is Hebrews 11:6. I love, love, love this scripture. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God really wants to have a relationship with us where we believe he is, he exists. There is no better way to scream loud and clear to you and loud and clear to God, I believe you exist, than to go through the discomfort of missing a meal. <laughs> because if you didn't believe God was there, and he was on the other end of the prayers you were praying, you would not go through that kind of discomfort. It is a way of reminding yourself, I believe there is a God on the other end of all of this discomfort, and he, if I will trust my hunger to him, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A fast is one way to diligently seek God, and he is a rewarder of that. And so sometimes, you know, we know that we're going after certain rewards that we need in our life, and we can use faith to pull on that. But then sometimes there's just rewards like my, what my grandpa gave us we didn't even know existed. But God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and fasting is a way to do that. Now, finally, I want to talk about also that we were never meant to, get, um, to treat God like he's a genie in a lamp, you know? Um, and in our fasting, we don't even want to do that. Um, you know, it's really taught in the Bible that we should directly believe that God will answer our prayers in certain areas. For instance, in the book of James, it talks about if you're sick, is anyone sick among you? Go to the elders of the church. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. I mean, that's very specific. If you're sick, get prayed for. Believe that God is on the other end of that prayer hearing and you will be made well. There is very little room for doubt that that's God's intention and it's very specific. There's also many, many, many other scriptures that teach us to go directly for God for something specific. And as a matter of fact, we can get to a place in our walk with God where we get a little bit either discouraged or a little lazy about it. And sometimes the people of God forget to even ask God or even go to God. Now, I know that's not always the case, but I think sometimes we have times in our lives where we do that where we just stop even asking, and there's a scripture that says, you have not because you ask not. You know, and we don't, we don't want to forget to ask. And there were even times in the Old Testament and New where God rebukes his own people because they stop even asking. 
They stop even asking God. And sometimes the people who weren't even the people of God were receiving more miracles than the people who were of God. And so there's definitely this side where we specifically want to trust God to meet specific needs. But let me swing the pendulum all the way over to the other side. Sometimes we can get to a place where we don't even have God on the right priority in our list. We make our lives the, our own priorities. We make up our list. He's wherever he fits in a convenient way for us. And then like a genie in the lamp, when we need a miracle, we're rubbing the lamp and saying, God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to do that. We're confessing scripture. We're just praying in faith. But God is not a priority to us, and his ways are not even on the radar. We're doing things our way. We're defining it our way, and we're doing as according to what we want to do, and we have not even checked with God. I want to read a scripture, Matthew 6.31, that talks about this very thing. It says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added for you. Now, sometimes there is a time where we're praying, we've got God in the top priority in our life, and we're still not seeing the answers to prayer that we want. I would say then stay trusting God, keep turning your hunger to God, be patient, walk in joy, and watch God bless your life. So I'm not talking to you right now about that. But there are times that we don't have God first, and we're not seeking him first. And so sometimes maybe you might feel like you fit in that category, and yet you've been praying and praying and praying and praying about something specific, and it seems like the heavens are shut to you. They're closed to you. You're not getting any answers to your prayer. That is a good time to check and see, and by seeking first the kingdom of God. Have you ever heard a chiropractor talk about the spine, how if the spine is out of line, it can create all kinds of havoc in the body, migraine, headaches, and aches and pains everywhere, and if they just adjust the spine, a lot of that other stuff disappears. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, when you delight yourself in the Lord, a lot of times all manner of other things line up in your life. And I think most of us can point back to times where we got a little bit off track, and as we centered it all up in God, things began flowing for us again. And so I want to, you know, point out to you, we don't want to throw either thing out. We want to be very focused on the things that we're believing that God will help us with, but we also want to be putting him as a top priority and also letting a lot of that other stuff work out around us. And so it's a very important thing. Now, what if you find yourself, and I think most of us Christians will go through a time where we find ourselves going through this. What if you find yourself to where you really just don't have that edge you used to have in your walk with God? Maybe you feel like the Bible's boring to you or you feel like you just don't feel like praying anymore. You used to have a freshness with God and it's not there anymore. I want to show you how a fast can actually reignite that edge, that spiritual edge and that, that passion that you once felt for God. Um, or maybe if you've never felt it, a fast can bring it into your life. But I call it the baked potato syndrome and here's why. Several years ago, many years ago now, my husband and I got into juice fasting. How many people here have ever been into juicing? Very few. You know why? Because it's torture. That's why. What we did is we bought ourselves a juicer, 
and we bought ourselves a bag of carrots, horse carrots, and they stand about this tall, and they're this big, and they're thick, and you put them through the juicer, and then you drink that with a lot of green things stuck in it. And you drink that, and a juice fast is sort of supposed to tox de detoxify the body. And so we did this for a whole week. The, the idea with the juice fast is you drink nothing but vegetable and fruit juices for one week, and then the second week you're allowed to add into that regimen a baked potato and a salad. Okay, now, I don't dislike potatoes, but if I never had another potato in my life, I would not even notice it, okay? And, but that week, the week we were juice fasting, and I knew I could have a baked potato the next week, I was dreaming about potatoes. <laughs> I was imagining chewing a potato. I was fantasizing about the meals that I was going to have the following week. And ironically, it wasn't cookies or candy or ice cream that I was craving when I was on that juice fest. It was baked potato and a salad that I was craving. Because as you detoxify your body and get some of that stuff, uh, some of the toxins out, you don't, you don't have the same cravings that you used to have, and your body starts to return to healthy tastes and healthy appetites. Well, it's the same way spiritually. A lot of times we are so filling up on kind of the, the clutter and the junk of this world to where we're, you know, we watch a lot of TV, we're on the computer a lot, we're, you know, listening to music that maybe doesn't really have any kind of wholesome message to it, and we're filling up with all kinds of stuff that really gives us an appetite for that stuff, but doesn't really have any real strong sense of value for us. A great way to return your appetite toward the things of God is a fast. And I want you to really consider, if that's you today, consider doing some kind of a fast because um, I have never met a person who has gone on a fast um, and not come out of it really sold on fasting. And you would think, you know, because there is a little bit of suffering involved, you would think that people would be, um, you know, not so enthusiastic about it. But people who put fasting into their re regimen uh, appreciate the benefits of fasting. Now, I could have taken this whole half hour to talk about just some of the amazing things that God did in my life and in some of my friends' lives just uh, after times of fasting, but I'm going to just share one story to you. It's my favorite, it's my favorite miracle that's ever happened. Um, and that's because it had to do with the, the saving of a soul. Okay? But um, to give you a little bit of a background, um, back on 9-11-01, so that's when the terrorist attacks happened all those years ago, uh, my sister at the time, my twin sister, lived in L.A., and we, we were going to be meeting in Chicago to go to a family wedding. Well, at that same time, my grandfather was um, dying of cancer, and he had a miraculous story of, of salvation in his life. Another time I'd love to share that because that was just amazing. But anyway, at this point, during that time, he was dying with cancer and he was very, very close to the end. Well, 9-11-01 happened, and they were not allowing any flights to go in. So, um, you know, my sister couldn't get there, and I had to, Joe drove me there, and, you know, I was able to be with him, but it was kind of a distressing time for the family. It was just a very distressing time. Well, fast forward all of these years later, over the years, my grandmother, um, you know, as she was aging, needed to be put into a very nice assisted living home where they could help her out a little bit. She made a lot of friends, and, you know, she even met a man there, and she got herself engaged. So one day we got the phone call, Grandma's engaged, you know. So anyway, all those years later was kosher, you know. Enough years had passed. So anyway, Grandma's engaged. She's in an assisted living home. 
All right, so that's that side of the story. So in the meantime, in my life, for the first time ever, I felt like impressed that I should try a fast. And I was just going to be doing like a Daniel fast where no meat, sweets, or treats, you know. And I should do some fasting and praying. Well, this was kind of the first time that I had ever really, it had ever occurred to me to do that. So I had it in my mind, I'm going to start a fast. Well, my sister Lori called me and she said, hey, I have had it on my mind that I want to do some fasting. And I want to pray for that side of the family because 9-11 is coming up and it's a strategic time for that family and would you join me in fasting and praying? And so I said, yeah, because it said it's ironic that I've already had it on my heart to fast. So I said, I'll, I'll join you. She got some other praying friends, my other sister, to pray. And so we were praying, okay? Well, somewhere during that time, she felt, Lori felt really impressed that she was supposed to buy a plane ticket from LA to go to Chicago and she was supposed to make sure she was physically there by 9-11 of that year. It wasn't 9-11-01, it was years later, but by 9-11 of that year, she was supposed to physically be in Chicago, and that she was supposed to tell my grandmother, God cares for you very much and he loves you. Very simple message, but kind of a gutsy move. You know, cost her some money. So she did it. Um, she bought a ticket, she flew to Chicago, and by the time 9-11 came, she was physically there and settled. Well, ironically, right on the day of 9-11, my grandmother's fiancé just suddenly died. He suddenly passed away, just tragically. And so grandma was absolutely broken heart. Well, now what my sister had picked up in prayer made some sense to us because grandma was going through great grief. So my sister Lori could just go to her, tell her, hey, you know, God sent me here to tell you he cares about you, he loves you, you know, and all of that. The problem was that grandma was so grief-stricken that she went immediately to her daughter's home and would not receive any visitors or calls. She was just distraught, she was grief-stricken, and she wouldn't receive any visits or calls. So my sister then was like, oh, you know, it's obvious to me why I'm here now, but grandma won't let me come. So my sister called, they said, no, grandma doesn't want any visitors. So my dad called. Uh, no, Grandma doesn't want any visitors. So Lori called us all back, all of us praying people, and she said, listen, pray because I can't get in to see Grandma. So we all were praying, you know. Well, she got it in her mind, another gutsy move. She got it in her mind, I'm just going to show up at the door. So she bought a cheesecake and brought one in each hand and knocked on the door and said, hi, I'm here. <laughs> and they graciously let her in the house. Well, it was my aunt, my cousin, and my grandmother and my sister got to deliver the message from God that God cares about you very much. He wanted me to be here on this very day to tell you that. And she was able to lead all three of them to Jesus that very day, which was an amazing time. And what made it even really sweet is, you know how when we will say a prayer at the end of services to give people an opportunity to receive the Lord, we'll say a part and then they say a part. When she got to the part where she, where she said, you know, Jesus, I love you, my grandmother added in her own words and said, Jesus, I love you with all my heart forever. And so it was a very heartfelt time, and then that time opened a door for my sister to stay in contact with that same group of people and continue to talk to them about God. So it was an amazing, amazing miracle. Like I said, I could give you amazing testimonies about financial miracles. I could give you amazing testimonies about healing that people received as a result of just turning their hunger in a deeper way toward God. So now, as we are getting ready 
to begin this month as a church together. I want to encourage everybody. You know, there are parts of our walk with God that are just so wonderful and we're receiving, 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 but there are other parts of our walk with God that are a little uncomfortable. And I know that getting hungry and turning our hunger toward God can be a little bit uncomfortable, but it's a scriptural thing. It pays off. It's a beautiful thing. And as a church, we can be going to God together, joining our faith with one another and asking God, what are the things I'm hungry for? Are there children you're praying for that you're just hungry to see change in their life and you just want to amp up your prayers all the more? This is a great time to do that. Are there, are there things in your life you're just completely dissatisfied with relationships or whatever and you want to amp up your hunger toward God in this and see him out, an outpouring from him towards your life? Is there financial things? Are there things about the job? Are there things about people? What is it that you're hungry for? This is a time to bring that hunger and trust God with it. Also, it's a time to ask ourselves, is God number one on the priority list? Have I done things the way I know they should be done in God? Or am I making my own priorities up, doing things any which way that I want? It's a great time in January. We're all reassessing our priorities. We're all reassessing our strategies. This is a great time to just be exactly like that woman at the well and say, hey, God's working on my life. Come see what he's done for me. And this is a time to do that. Now you're going to see on your chairs that you have this flyer. It will show you all different kinds of fasts. You can do an intense three-day fast. Maybe don't do any food at all. You can do a seven-day fast. Maybe do a Daniel fast. You can do a 21-day fast and break a habit blow it up to smithereens. You can do any of those things. But next Wednesday, this Wednesday, we're going to meet together on the first day of our fast as a church. We're going to meet together. We're going to have a time of praise and worship before God to encourage our hearts and to connect with God in a very fresh way. Pastor Joe's going to be back Sunday, uh, and he's going to start his series called Start Escaping Normal. And so it's going to be a really, really wonderful time for us as a church. So Pray about this. Pray about taking a step. Don't have to be heroic. You don't have to fast food completely if you've never done it before, but take a step in a direction. Ask God what he would have you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person who is in this room. I thank you that each and every one of them are well-loved by you and adored by you and that there are things you want to pour out into their lives, things they don't even know exist yet that you want to pour out into their lives. And so we ask now that you would guide them, guide them in what to pray for, guide them in what to give up, guide them in how to better turn their hunger toward you and to trust you with their hunger. And I thank you for moving in each one of us, taking us to up to an absolutely new level in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I still want to talk to, there might be some of you in this room that you, like that woman at the well, you didn't even really know that God was so loving, that he placed such a high value on you, and you have never really even connected with him in a way where you could receive him as your Lord and Savior. I don't want to let today pass without giving that opportunity. So if you're in this room and you feel like, I am ready to give Jesus my heart, I'm ready to give him my life, I'm ready to let him satisfy my thirst, we're going to pray a prayer together. Everybody in this room is going to pray it with me, but if you've never prayed that prayer and you're ready to do it, just repeat these words I'm saying and mean it from your heart, and you can have eternal life, just like Jesus talked about. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came to the earth 
died on a cross and took his, my sin upon him. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord. Come into my life. Lead me and guide me into all truth. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Connecting Place podcast. For more information about Believer's Church, visit believers.cc.